Well, good morning, and we thank you for joining us this morning, this Sunday morning. We thank you for, if you found us um, on Facebook and are joining us for the first time, we thank you. I'm Pastor Sean. I'm the associate pastor here at Placerville Church of the Nazarene, and we're going to be looking today at a passage in Matthew, in Matthew 28. Uh, so if you have your Bibles or your um, iPad or your phone and you're, you're accessing your Bible on that, or even if you just want to look it up online while you're listening, um, we'll be in Matthew 28 and we're going to be in verse 16 is where we're going to start today. But before we jump into the Word, let's pray. Let's ask God's blessing through this. We so if you bow your heads and pray with me. Lord, we love you. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your Holy Spirit that speaks through your word into the very relevant issues that we are dealing with in our lives. Lord, I pray right now that you will take my feeble words, and fill them with the power of your Holy Spirit. May they be your words and not mine. May I be just the vessel for what you have for each of us today, Lord. Open our hearts and our minds to what you will speak to us through the Holy Spirit, we pray. Father, we do pray for transformation in our communities, Lord. We pray that you will bring your peace and bring justice. And we ask that as we look at your word, that you will enlighten us, we pray. In your holy name we pray these things. Amen. All right. Last week, we looked at the Pentecost Sunday moment. We, we looked at the coming of the Holy Spirit that happens in, Luke, or in Acts. I was going to say Luke, but Luke's the one who wrote Acts. In Acts chapter 2. And we see this amazing moment where the Holy Spirit descends on his disciples and it's the beginning of the church. It's the beginning of this movement that will truly transform society. Today we're going to take a step back though. and We're going to look at the moments just before um, that Pentecost mo morning. We're going to be looking at the moments that Jesus commissions his disciples to go out into the world. So if you have your Bibles um, and you are at uh, chapter 28 of Matthew, which is the first book of the New Testament, we're going to start in verse 16 and we're going to read through verse 20. So if you follow along with me. Now the 11 disciples went to Galilee to the mountain to which Jesus had directed them. And when they saw him, they worshiped him, but some doubted. And Jesus came and said to them, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. The word of the Lord. So this is the very end of the book of Matthew. Now, Matthew is one of the 11 disciples. He's followed Jesus through his ministry. He's heard all of the stuff Jesus has taught. He's watched Jesus doing all the miracles. He was at the crucifixion. He saw Jesus die. He has now seen Jesus rise from the dead and is standing in front of them. All right? 
So the beginning of this chapter starts actually with the resurrection story. It starts with Mary Magdalene and the other Mary going to the tomb, whether it was to go and to anoint Jesus um, or, or to just to mourn. Uh, they're going down there, and they find the tomb empty. They find um, Jesus, who meets them in the garden. He tells them to go and get his disciples and bring them to him. All right, and they do. and And he tells the disciples, "Go to Galilee. I will meet you there." Now, Galilee is outside of Jerusalem, uh, and he he tells them that they need to go to this specific mountain. And we know it's a specific mountain because it doesn't say go to a mountain in the scriptures. It says go to the mountain. So it's a very specific mountain in Galilee he wants them to go to. And he says he'll meet them there. Now Matthew is different than the other gospel writers other than Mark and Luke and John because Jesus doesn't tell, or Matthew doesn't tell any of the other stories of Jesus' appearance to the, to the disciples. He only tells about this appearance, this moment where they go to the mountain. Okay, Luke and John tell of different stories. They tell of Jesus coming into the room and meeting the disciples, uh, which are very powerful moments. Uh, he he tells they tell the story. Luke tells the story of the people going to the disciples who are going to Emmaus, and Jesus meets them on the roadway. And each of those moments. The disciples don't recognize Jesus right away. They don't, they don't know it's him. He reveals himself. Um, in the rooms in Luke uh, and in John, it's a very quick re- like recognition. They at first think he's just a ghost. Um, on, on Emmaus, on the road to Emmaus, the two disciples have no idea it's Jesus. I mean, they're on a walk with him. We don't know exactly how long of a walk, but they walk a long ways, and they're talking with him, and he's conversing with them. They invite him into dinner with them, and he's just a fellow traveler as far as they're concerned. And it isn't until they're sitting at the table and Jesus breaks the bread and blesses it that their eyes are open and they recognize that it's Jesus, the risen Lord. So in Matthew, he's, he tells the disciples, Go to the mountain, and I'll meet you there. Mountains are very important in Matthew. In the book of Matthew, there are several very key moments in his gospel that all happen on a mountain. There's the very famous Sermon on the Mount, or Sermon on the Mountain, which a lot of scholars believe this is the mountain he's sending them to. He's saying, go to the mountain where I taught from. Another extremely important moment in the book of Matthew and that happens on top of the mountain is the transfiguration moment. Jesus takes his um, three um, closest disciples with him up to the top of a mountain, and he is transfigured in front of them. He's no longer just the Galilean man that they have been traveling with, but they get to see him in the heavenly glory that he is as the Son of God. And with him, they see Moses and they see Elijah and they're just blown away. Peter's like, let's build houses here, Lord, and we'll just stay here forever. And the other disciples were really afraid because this is just a mind-blowing moment. Okay, so mountains are really important to Matthew 
Because mountains are where exceptional things happen. Um, In the ancient world, mountains were where you would go in order to be close to God. Close to the gods, if you were a pagan, or close to God, in this sense, with the disciples. All right? So he sends them to the mountain. We're going to assume it is the mountain where the Sermon on the Mount was given, the big, long sermon. If you've never read the Sermon on the Mount, I encourage you to read it. It's Matthew chapters 5 through 7, 2 chapters. If you think that tonight is a long sermon, which we'll see, we haven't finished yet. Man, think about sitting through that sermon. Man, Jesus might have been a bit long-winded in, that, in his day at that time. It's a powerful, powerful sermon. It's this moment where Jesus is truly interpreting the Torah or the law that the Jews live by. He's really the final interpretation of the Torah. They have tried throughout history, ever since Moses received the, the Torah or the, the law from God, uh, they have done all they can to try to interpret it and, and find the fine-tuned places that they could you know, maybe squeak by and say, oh, that, I still am following the law, but I, got, I can still do it this way. Uh, and, and there's this whole, there's this huge book in the Jewish culture called the Talmud. It's, it's all of the additional laws that the Jewish culture made or decided on in order to help them adhere to the Torah or the original law. Okay, so there's the original law, which is found in the Old Testament, and then there's this Talmud, where through the years, through the, through the, the history of Israel, they're adding and creating laws to protect themselves from breaking the big law, the Torah, all right? And so in the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is interpreting the big Torah for all the people. He's going through it, and, he's, and if you follow it and you look at it, you can see he hits all the major laws. And, it, and it's funny, every single one starts with, you've heard it said, this, this, or this, but I say to you, it's this. Meaning, listen guys, you've been taught this is how you interpret that law, but I'm telling you, it's actually deeper than that. A good example of that is, You have heard it said that it is murder to kill someone. I would say to you that if you have murder in your heart towards someone, you don't act it out, but you have vengeful, hateful thoughts towards someone, that is murder. And so it's this reinterpreting of how to live life the way God intended us as humans to live. Okay? Keep that in mind because that's going to be important in what happens in the rest of these verses. So they go to the mountain. Okay, to this mountain that's specific, that's been this monumental sort of cornerstone of Jesus' ministry. They all go there, and I'm sure that it's more than just 11 of them. I'm sure that there's, um, they believe that Jesus had at one point like 100 and, I think it was like 127 followers that, that were part of his sort of band of merry men and women who went with him and did his ministry with him. And I'm sure a lot of them went with them to this, to the mountain. And Jesus appears to them. And it says in verse 17, and when they saw him, they worshiped him. But some doubted. You see, that's, un- that's not unusual. 
It's not unusual. Not everybody has the same reaction to Jesus as, as we do or, or as maybe you will. It's natural for us to worship God because we know who he is. The 11 disciples, they know who he was and they worshiped him. And this idea of worshiping is they fall prostrate on the ground. They lay out before him because not only is he their teacher, he is beyond that now. He's no longer the rabbi. He is the Lord, the God that they worship. He is God. But some of them don't believe it whether they believe he's a ghost, like some of the other accounts talk to us about. We don't know, but some of them doubt it. And then Jesus speaks to them. And he says in verse 18, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. We need to sit in, this, in that sentence for a minute. There's other places in the gospel writing where Jesus talks about how all of the authority of heaven and earth will be given to him, making him the ruler, the Lord of all, okay? And a lot of us Christians know that when we come to the end of whatever history has planned, that God, Jesus is the Lord, and he's going to reveal himself as this Lord who is Lord of heaven and of earth, okay? But Jesus is saying, and he said this 2,000 years ago, he says 2,000 years ago, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Has, if you're not a big English person, like you're not really into grammar, has is a past tense verb, meaning it already has been given to him. He already is the Lord of heaven and of earth. So what that means is, is that means that everything that's going to come after this statement is not just Jesus the rabbi telling his disciples, hey, listen, this is our plan. This is the next phase of, of our, of our, of our uh, mission. But this is the Lord of heaven and on earth. This is God himself speaking, commanding, giving a commission to his people who will become his tools out into the world, okay? He gives them the command. He says, therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I have commanded you. And behold, I am with you always to the end of the age. Okay. It's really important to see that in Matthew's commissioning, it has nothing to do with going out and preaching. It doesn't say, therefore, go out and preach to a bunch of people about Jesus, and, and then you know you'll, you'll be doing my job for me. So some of you might be questioning, what? why do we have Pastor Sean then? I mean, that's what I'm doing. I'm preaching, right? It, I like what I do. I believe this is part of the making of disciples. But Matthew is very specific in, in the wording he uses and what Jesus is, is saying. He's not saying, I don't need you to go out and just be this bullhorn telling everybody that they need to change. But what I need you to do is I need you to go out and to show them the change. Show them 
Show them what I have taught you, what I have commanded you. Don't go out and just tell people. You know that statement of do what I say, but don't do what I do? That's not really what it is, but that, you get that idea, right? Don't do what I'm doing, but do what I'm teaching you. That's not what Jesus wants us to do. Jesus says, go out and do it. Go out and be what I've asked you to be. Go out and make disciples through relationship, through training, through having them see your, your love for them in the way that I love you. You will then love them, and they will recognize their need for you. And you will be able to teach them, and you will be able to baptize them, and you will be able to bring them into this family of God. Jesus is commissioning us. Commission is a command, but I like to say, I like the idea more of the fact that it's more of a, it's a, a I like the idea of it's a go mission. It's a, it's a go and here's your mission. Love people. Teach them about who I am. Teach them about what I've taught you. And I think that's why he brought them to this mountain. I think it's, this is the reason he said, go to this mountain, the mountain on which I taught you how to live. So if you want to know how to live, read Matthew 5 through 7. And live that way. And people will see it and they'll be like, man, that is so different than how we live life in general as human beings normally. And they'll ask questions. And if, you're, if you have a relationship with them, then you have this ability to speak into them why you do what you do. This is my story. It's not because of anything I do. It's because of everything Jesus did. It's because of everything Jesus has already done for me. I think the final words Matthew records of Jesus is one of the best words we could hear at the end of verse 20. There It says, And behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. You know what the, the name for Jesus was when he came as a baby? You, you, uh, some of you might know the name from Christmas carols. Uh, it's this name, it's Emmanuel. It means God with us, living among us, God entering into where we exist, where we live out life. And Jesus is reassuring his disciples and us today, that I will be with you to the very end of the age. So no matter how long life continues past us, it doesn't matter because he's with us until the end of our time. And I'll tell you right now that in the, the state of our society that we are currently experiencing, I mean, this is revolutionary. If you don't know that historical things are happening around you, you need to turn on the news, buy some newspapers, save some clippings. Uh, we've been telling our daughter to be taking a, making a journal and, and to be writing down what she's been feeling and experiencing through this whole COVID issue where we have to be staying at home, she can't see her friends, all that stuff. And now 
we have got civil unrest as there is this demand for justice, for equality in our, in our country. We as Christians have an important role to play in this because we are God's tools. We're, we're not just Christians, and so that means we get to go to heaven so we don't have to worry anymore. We are truly God's utility belt. <laughs> uh, I like doing woodworking, and, I like, and I, I like to try to be as handy as I can be around my house. And I have, this, I have a toolbox that I keep the most regularly used tools that I use on a regular basis in, so I don't have to go and sift through what my workbench can sometimes look like. I know where those specific tools that I need are. Well, we're those specific tools that God needs because he's given us a go mission, a commission to go out and to speak what he would want said through this time. He would want us to be seeking justice. He would be wanting us to seek mercy, to seek peace, to bring about um, equality. All of those things are super important and, and they are the heart of what God is about. Um, and if you don't believe me, read the Old Testament because that's what it's all about. Truly, that is what it's all about. The command he gives to Israel throughout the Old Testament is to go out and live justly. Take care of the oppressed. In Isaiah uh, chapter 1, verse 17, it actually says that. It says, learn to do right. Seek justice and defend the, the oppressed. In Micah 6, 8, Micah is telling us, he says, listen, O mortal, or, or, or O people, you, you, behind the camera, he's talking to you, what is good? And what does the Lord require of us? To act justly, to love mercy and kindness, and to walk humbly with our God. We've been called by God to go out and to make disciples of people. Not by what we're saying, but by how we act and love the community around us. To love the people we're in relationship with. Uh, not just our friends, but just everybody in general. And I think that right now we are at a time in our history where we as the people of God can truly speak love and justice into these situations. We, it, we have a, it's a challenging job. It, it is challenging. And, and because it's easy for us to sometimes get comfortable in what is comfortable for us. And it's hard to think that we have to go outside of that comfort zone. But so often, God is standing out in that outside of our comfort zone saying, listen, if you'll just join me here, I'm going to help you. Because he's already promised it, not only here in Matthew 28, but all throughout the scriptures, but definitely in 28. He says, listen, I'm going to send you, but don't worry, I'm, I'm going with you. I'm actually already there. I'm waiting for you to get there with me. I think that's the, it, it's a common theme throughout this last chapter, is every time we see Jesus, he's waiting for the disciples to get to him. He's saying, listen, meet me here. I'm going to be there. 
Go to this mountain. I'm going to be there. Go into the nations. Go into the world. Go into our neighborhoods. Go into our community. I'm going to already be there. Meet me there. And then we're going to work in it. We're going to love people. We're going to teach them the right way to live by following how I taught you how to live. And then when opportunity arises, we can speak. We can speak what the right way should be. But of all else, we have to just be there in the midst, loving them, being the holy people God has called us to be. One of my favorite quotes, um, and I, I'm pretty positive it's St. Francis, um, Francis Assisi, but I have looked it up a few times, and people say, yeah, commonly believed that this is what he said, so I don't know if it's actually written down. One of my favorite quotes by him is, to preach the gospel always. And if necessary, use your words. That's what we're called to do. We're called to go out to preach about Jesus, but not necessarily with our words, but with our actions. Will you pray with me? Father, you have challenged us, commissioned us, to be your voice, to be your hands, to be your feet. And that's not always easy for us to do. And, and often we might not even know what we're supposed to be doing, but Lord, you are there with us. You're speaking to our hearts. You're speaking to our minds. You can give us your wisdom, and we thank you for that. And we ask that you continually do that. Lord, I pray specifically that as we are living through this time right now, Lord, speak to us on how we can, can live out your justice, your love, your equality into a society that is just begging for it. May we model that. Father, and forgive us for those moments when we fall and we maybe don't step into it whether, for whatever reason. We want to be faithful to you. And we thank you that you are always faithful to us. Thank you for speaking to us. Lord, we pray for your will in our lives. And Father, may you work in us so that we can be an active participant, a, a, a productive utility tool that you can use to bring about your will in our communities, Father. We love you so much. And we give this all to you, for it is yours and it is for your glory. In your holy name we pray. Amen. Thank you so much for joining us. We just ask that you would just have a great week. We're praying that you have a great week, and we'll see you next week.